Welcome to today's webinar compiled and produced by the team at biznews.com. All of our webinars are interactive. We encourage you to pose questions to our guests. The more challenging, the better. And the earlier you get the questions in, the better the chance of having them answered. The recording of this webinar will be available later today on the biznews.com channel on YouTube. Welcome everybody, I'm Jackie Cameron from BizNews and with me today we've got Dawn Riddler, a straight-talking independent financial advisor based in Johannesburg and we also have Mike Brown who is one of South Africa's top economists but also a financial services entrepreneur who started exchange-traded funds in South Africa. So welcome to Dawn and Mike and welcome to everybody who's joining us at the webinar today. Nice to be here again, Jackie. Thank you, Dawn. And Dawn, um, we've been getting so many positive emails back after our webinars uh, with people very delighted to see that you are very straight talking and you ask all the hard questions that maybe they don't know what to ask or are too afraid to ask. So thank you for joining us again. Lovely to be here. Hi, Bra Mike. Jackie, yeah, thank you for, for the invitation and uh, hello to all the people uh, listening in. And uh, you know, I specialize in ETFs, but hopefully we can talk not only ETFs, but more broadly on South Africa. So uh, I'm looking forward to the next uh, period of time with you. Thanks, thanks so much, Jackie, for the invitation. That's brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Mike. Perhaps we could start off with you, Mike, just um, perhaps for people who aren't as familiar with exchange-traded funds and passive investing and so on, perhaps you could just set out what this actually is and why you decided to move into this area and offer these types of products to investors? Um, well, ETFs, Exchange Traded Funds, have been around in South Africa for 20 years. In fact, in November, uh, next month, uh, it'll be 20 years since the first uh, ETF was listed in South Africa, and that was the Satrix 40, which tracked the top 40 index of uh, South African shares. I happened to be around then, and I helped launch uh, Satrix 40, so unfortunately, I'm Part of the landscape or the furniture when it comes to ETFs in South Africa. An ETF, of course, is just a uh, it's a, a share which gives you access to a portfolio or to a uh, a number of different uh, underlying shares which are held in a portfolio. So in effect, it's like a mutual fund or a unit trust, but it's listed on a stock exchange and it trades on a stock exchange and it uh, trades all day long, unlike a unit trust which only trades once a day. And it has uh, liquidity and it has market makers behind it. And as we probably know globally, I think uh, something like uh, uh, typically 50% or more of trade every day on the US and other markets happens in ETFs rather than in single shares. And in South Africa, that's starting to become the fact. You know, there's, there's more and more trading taking place in uh, ETFs, particularly by day traders and people like that who want exposure to the market, but get it by buying an index rather than buying a, uh, buying a uh, single share. So ETFs are starting to do quite well in South Africa. It's taken a while. Um, 
it's now an industry that's well over 100 billion rand. It's 112 billion rand the market cap as at uh, end of September. And to put that in context, it's much bigger than the unit, than not the unit trust industry, the hedge fund industry or private equity or those other industries. Though it still lags the unit trust industry substantially in South Africa, but it's becoming better known and better used by uh, people who want exposure to different types of asset classes and to different types of uh, of uh, themes and specialized areas which uh, ETFs cover. And uh, uh, and it's nice to still be part of that particular industry. So uh, hopefully I can help uh, with some questions in that area going forward, uh, Jackie. That's great. And do please, everybody who's joined the webinar today, do please get your questions into the box there. As you can hear, Mike and Dawn are very happy to take your questions. And now's a great opportunity to ask the experts for their views on your personal finance ideas. Dawn, perhaps you could just briefly take us through how you work. I, I know many of the people who join us every week are regulars, but uh, you, it would be great if you could just sketch it out for people who don't know how you work. And it's quite interesting that you've got this uh, science background and uh, you've, your business is called Karenga Wealth Ecology. Uh, yes, I actually, uh, from time to time, get a bit of flack about that because um, it seems to be the sort of, woke thing to call everything ecology um, but I'm actually an ecologist so I you know probably have a better understanding of, of the phrase but uh, the reason I called it wealth ecology is that a, a wealth port your family's wealth portfolio is actually not too different to to a biome to a to an ecosystem in that you have all these variables and factors around it that are changing it on a on a basis but at the end of the day you're in control of it whereas you know obviously in ecology they're, they're far more players in it so i just found it's um you know a lot of people particularly in this country love their love their gardens love their wildlife love their you know going into the bush and actually have a much better understanding of of nature than maybe maybe other places in the world um and so if you can use analogies that they're familiar with that you know they've come across you know from from trips to the bush or trips to the beach and this kind of thing and and use it to try to explain some of the more complicated aspects of finance and that that's basically what I do with my a lot of my writing and my, my blogging and that sort of sort of thing um, my major focus is investment and obviously I mean we can talk about how I use ETFs in in my my clients investments they're not all ETFs um, but uh, that's that's essentially how I work Great. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, we have a first question coming through, and this is from Charmaine. And she says, is there an international ETF that we can invest in? Mike, perhaps you could just elaborate a bit on how people can get international exposure through ETFSA. Yes, well, the answer to that is, is, is very much affirmative. Uh, I think it was Charmaine was the name, was it? Uh, yes, the, Charmaine. Uh, more, than, more than half of the ETFs listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange and that's now, you know, there's more than 100 ETFs in the stock exchange. Reference foreign assets. So if you want to buy a, a world fund, uh, you know, an MSCI Morgan Stanley world fund, there's three or four people issuing that on the JSE. You can buy a US S&P 500. You could buy a China fund. You could buy a, uh, uh, you could buy a global dividend fund or global property fund. So there's a big choice of ETFs on the JSE that that reference foreign assets and not South African assets. And there's a good reason for that because it's obviously been better to buy foreign assets than uh, South African equity and other assets in, in recent uh, in recent times. 
So uh, the answer to that is very much yes. You can buy any ETF through a stockbroker or go to a specialized platform like ETFSA or Easy Equities or one of those platforms which specializes in ETFs. And, uh, and it's often your first port of call is to buy an ETF rather than trying to become expert at which of the you know, thousands and thousands of companies globally I should buy. Just buy an index that gives you exposure to, um, to global equities. The uh, MSCI World Index, which you can buy with Satrix or Sydney Itrix or OneInvest uh, or Core Shares, they all have those ETFs available in South Africa. That gives you exposure to something like 2,000 companies around the world. About 50% that's in America, but the rest is outside of America. So that means you own a little bit of each of those 2,000 companies because they all form part of the index. And so that's a very good way of getting exposure to a specific theme, which is to say, well, I want to have some investment outside of South Africa rather than having all my investments purely in the, uh, the South African equity basket. So, uh, so go and have a look at uh, what's available, but there's plenty of foreign referenced uh, ETFs available uh, at this stage on the JSC, and there's going to be much more to come uh, going forward. That's interesting. And um, how are you finding um, the demand? Basically, most of your, uh, if you look at your growth and your market capitalization on the JSC in recent years, it's virtually all in the foreign referenced um, ETS, which is either buying global equity indices or else buying, and this has become particularly popular, buying uh, commodities on the JSC. You know, in the old days, I and mean, Dawn's not as old as I am, but uh, used to have 100 gold mines you could choose from. Now you've only in South Africa got about four or five listed gold mines, but you can buy uh, directly into gold or rhodium or platinum or palladium or oil or even uh, copper, buying an ETF on the JSC. So if you think the gold price is going to rise, you don't necessarily have to buy a gold mine. You can go and buy an ETF, which gives you access to the price of gold, not only in dollars, because you know, obviously the gold price is traded in dollars in London and elsewhere, but in rands on, on the JSC. So we're finding most uh, of the interest in South Africa is buying either global equities or global uh, commodities. Um, bonds are not all that attractive because, you know, you can get 10% buying a South African bond at 10% interest rate. Whereas if you buy a global bond, you're getting a 1% interest rate. But uh, certainly uh, if you do want to invest outside of South Africa and you don't want to physically take your money out of South Africa, you can buy those physical assets or those assets physically on the JSC and that gives you a pure end hedge. That means you're buying a uh, global assets, but you're buying it uh, in local money on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And that's a that's a very popular way of investment for a number of investors, not only small investors, but uh, um, also some of the institutions. Dawn, are you finding this is a popular area among your clients? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, I personally think that um, ETFs are a very good place um, for people to start investing for exactly the same reasons that Mike was saying is that it gives um, starts to give them a broad understanding of a broad index you know maybe the you know S&P 500 or JSE or whatever else it is without having to try and um, share pick and, and at a fairly reasonable price and so you can you know if you are wanting to um, get into this but without too many costs and that kind of thing it's a very good place to like you know, put five hundred or a thousand rand a month, and you know, for that for that type of investor, for for the bigger investor, where I I find ETFs are very 
good in portfolios is that um, to get that broad-based um, exposure, particularly to a market or an idea or, or whatever else it is. I mean, for example, at the moment, um, our, uh, we've got quite a lot of China-based or China-focused ETFs in in client portfolios um but that may change we've also got a bit of quite a bit of gold and commodities you know which which mike was was also saying but when you have um an, an etf like that you can can go out of them fairly rapidly i'm not talking day trading rapidly but i'm talking you know six weeks month two months three months that kind of thing to actually get exposure to a broad idea rather than trying to cherry pick um sort of shares or unit trusts uh, along those lines. So, you know, they, they definitely have their place in all portfolios from, from the smallest right through to the to the very biggest. Thank you. Mike, do you have anything to add to that? No, no, I think that that's, that's in a nutshell. And uh, what we're finding also very popular in South Africa is that uh, everybody wants to participate in the high-tech sectors. You want to buy Amazon or you want to uh, be involved with the uh, Apple or Microsoft or Netflix or whatever it is. Now, there's quite a number of uh, ETFs available on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. The Satrix NASDAQ, for instance, gives you exposure to all those new high-tech companies. All the FANGs are part of the NASDAQ. Or you can buy the Signia. Hytrix has got a fourth industrial revolution ETF, which buys new generation companies around, uh, around the world. So you can buy high-tech uh, by buying an ETF in South Africa that gives you exposure to that. And you then not only get the fact that the uh, NASDAQ index in the last year has gone up about 40, 45% in US dollars, but you're getting the depreciation of the RAND as well. So if you bought the NASDAQ a year ago, uh, Citrix NASDAQ, your appreciation has been about 70%. Now there's very few South African shares of any size that have given you that. So you can find themes uh, that an ETF can give you uh, exposure to as well. and uh, and I think that's a very good place for, as, as Dawn said, not only for small investors, but as institutional investors. We run quite a lot of uh, portfolio money nowadays, and we do it purely just using ETFs uh, because you have this uh, exposure to any asset class or any type of uh, theme that you're looking for has uh, ETFs that can do that. Um, and if you can't find it in South Africa, um, then you can go and find these things globally. Uh, where there's now 7,000 ETFs around the world that you can buy, and uh, and we trade in quite a few of those. So uh, so they are a useful tool. Um, so you shouldn't be scared by saying, well, I don't know enough to go and analyze companies, or I have to rely on somebody else's advice on companies. Uh, ETFs are often a good uh, way of getting exposure to markets, to equity markets, and to other markets without, uh, without having to say, well, I can't do this. You can do it, uh, or your financial advisor can do it, and uh, and ETFs are one of the forms uh, that I think is the most popular form now of of, uh, of getting uh, of getting exposure to to many types of uh, many types of asset classes. So, Mike, yeah, just to clarify, wanna... sorry, Dawn, continue. Yeah, I I just want to sort of build on what Mike was saying there, in that um, you know at at the end of the day, uh, portfolios these days can't be one trick ponies. Um, if you one trick pony, you've got everything. In the in the JSC, you're going to have been badly hurt over the last five years. Um, so the secret source or whatever it is of asset managers, or if you're lucky enough to have those skills yourself, is um, buying a, a range of different ideas and and different exposures and and that kind of thing. But you know, really, where it starts to become more difficult. I mean, yes, you don't have the the difficulty of having to pick 
which companies are you going to buy? You know, are you going to buy Amazon or are you going to buy Netflix or should you buy a bit of both? Um, you know, that decision you don't have to make, but you do have to make the decision in terms of how you're going to diversify that that asset allocation. And that that starts to become more difficult. And that's, you know, then you, that's when you really start to need a, a professional. You know, when when you're young and you can throw it all at the stock market and it may drop, it may go up, it, does, it doesn't really matter. It, you know, you've got time to make up the, you know, that that problem, then it's not a problem. You can, you know, put it all in one asset class. It's not going to really, really matter. It's, it's when you start getting, you know, sort of probably from the age of about probably 50 onwards, where there's less room for mistake, that the balancing of the various asset classes needs needs to be more nuanced. Thank you, Dawn. He has a follow-up question from Charles, which and he says, are ETF costs all similar? Mike, you touched on the Signia Itrix uh, ETF there. Is that a cheaper way of accessing these global tech stocks than perhaps going through a Vanguard fund or a Gins Global fund? How do you look at the costs? Well, it's, an ETF has its own cost. It's its so-called total expense ratio. And those typically are very low because... Uh, uh, you're tracking an index, and now if you have a high cost in tracking that index, you have a tracking error, and that's what people look for, is if I'm buying an index and it goes up 5%, I don't want my ETF to only go up 4%. You know, I want my ETF to go up by the level of the index. So an ETF in its, in its, in its own way has a very low expense ratio because really all you're doing is you're tracking an index. You're not, uh, you're not doing your own research. You don't have to employ analysts and risk managers and all sorts of people. You just go out and you've got a the software that enables you to track uh, to track an index. You still have to buy that uh, ETF, and that typically means that you should be looking at buying it through a uh, an online stockbroker or a specialist platform like, say, ETFSA's Investor Hub, or I think I mentioned Easy Equities or one or two others, uh, where the costs are pretty low. So if you go to your stockbroker, you'll typically charge you, you know, 50, 75 basis points to do a trade. You know, on most of these platforms, you're paying 10 to 5 basis points to trade. So uh, so yes, ETFs are, are pretty low cost. If you want to take your money offshore and say, well, I want, I'll go and buy an iShares or a Vanguard ETF uh, in America or the UK, you've got to go through the physical cost of, of buying the currency, moving your money outside of South Africa. You need permission to do that, which means you've got to get approval from the bank. And uh, if it's a large amount of money from the South African Reserve Bank and get clearance from South African Revenue Services and so on. And that's quite a costly uh, that's uh, quite costly. And if you start trying to trade directly in America and the UK and all the rest, you know, non-resident trading in a foreign market, uh, that has a lot of implications as well. And uh, a lot of those are cost implications. So a simple way of doing it is by doing it on the JSE. And uh, in 2015, the uh, South African Exchange Control Authorities brought in what they call inward investment. So you can buy a foreign company on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange provided it's listed on the JSC, and typically that would be a secondary listing. So you can buy British American Tobacco or Richmond or Anheuser Bush or other companies that are listed on the JSC. Now the same thing happens in the ETF. So you get a feeder fund, you, you get an iShares MSCI World Index, um, and the and that's listed on the JSC, and then you're just buying that as a feeder fund, uh, uh, even though it's run by iShares globally, it's, it's just listed on the JSC as a local investment. If you're a South African investor, you're an individual, you don't have to get any exchange control approval. You can put as much money as you like into a foreign product because they're inwardly listed and they, they fall under this, this aspect of the uh, of the exchange control regulations. So for most people, the hassle of 
try and invest offshore by trying to set up a stockbroking account and do all the rest and so on. So it's not really necessary. You can buy those uh, those products uh, on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And I don't want to talk too much about it, but we, very recently we've seen uh, uh, First National Bank listing exchange traded notes in the JSC, which give you direct exposure to those high-tech companies abroad. So you can buy Apple or Microsoft or Alphabet or, or Netflix or any of those big uh, mega companies uh, which trade in America, you can buy those on the JSC by buying an FNB exchange traded note. And that's often the simplest way of getting exposure to say Tesla or any of those companies is just buy them on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. So, uh, so that's where the ETF, ETN uh, plays. Uh, it, it's just convenience, it's low cost, and uh, it's easy to monitor because you, <laughs> you, you're sitting on a platform which you can, you can, you know, you can dial into every day and just check on the internet how your portfolio is doing. Whereas once you start moving money physically offshore, you're lucky to hear from your asset manager once a year. Uh, uh, so, uh, so these things are, we try and make this as convenient as possible rather than having to just uh, always look at moving money abroad and then becoming reliant on global portfolio managers. Uh, I think Dawn can say something on this as well, but you can manage assets very comfortably in South Africa across all global ge geographic locations and uh, ETFs are one of the ways of doing that. Dawn, is it fair um, to say we can't see our, our portfolios from South Africa? Bullshit. But no, um, you know, I, maybe Mike has had a different experience to what my clients experience and it, it, it depends where you have that uh, trading account at the end of the day because that uh, where you have that trading account is going to impact um, on things like estate duty and withholding tax and all those those other things. So the the trick is to find a trading platform specifically that is maybe um, tax agnostic, um, doesn't have all these um, rules and regulations. In other words, they leave it up to you. They give you all the information they need. Of course, they they're available to SARS if they if SARS wants to go and you know, have a look at your account. Their global agreements allow them to do that, but um, there's not the whole rigmarole around CITES and uh, tax and estate duties and probate and all those other things that you can, particularly, particularly America, but also um, the UK is inclined to be a bit onerous when it comes to some of those things and even some of the sort of Channel Islands, Guernsey, Guernsey Jersey, those those kind of things. So there are we, I specifically, uh, my my clients and I prefer to use Switzerland um, for a whole bunch of, of reasons. And if you use the right trading platform, you have the same online access as you have in South Africa. So you know that really doesn't matter. Um, the major difference, you know, the for example, when you're in Switzerland, um, the trading account and the retail account is is one, and so you can actually buy any of the accounts straight out of your your bank account, as it were, and um, you know, then you've got the online access, and you got access to thousands and thousands of, you know, all the um, vanguards and all this kind of thing. With, I mean, the American ones, they take it into obviously into the Swiss jurisdiction, so that you don't run into the American-owned um, kind of thing. But uh, no, you know, there are. It, it's much easier than it has been in the past, you know, to do. Yes, it is a bit of a hassle to to get it offshore, but you just have to use somebody who knows what they're doing. 
um, and will help you help you do it. You know, the costs aren't huge. And quite frankly, you know, as soon as my clients are talking about a million rand or more, then taking it physically offshore is a no-brainer. Um, you know, when we're talking a couple of thousand rand here and there, maybe 10,000 rand here and there, then yeah, sure, keep it in South Africa. But it's rand denominated. Um, and, you know, so if you're wanting to have, you know, not just exposure to those offshore assets, but physically have the money offshore in case for whatever reason, you know, in case your kids leave the country and you want to have money offshore, whatever, for whatever reason you want to have money offshore, then take it offshore. Mike, do you have anything to add to that? Or are we ready for the next question? Not, that's two different markets. You know, one is where you physically move money offshore and uh, we run a lot of money now physically offshore. Uh, as Dawn says, we use trading platforms and these sort of things. And, uh, and then you have online access. Um, yeah, I'm talking about people who go to, I don't know, Bank of Cayman Islands or something like that, and they find that there just isn't that sort of service that you would get for being on online trading platforms and that sort of thing. And, uh, and the cost can be very high. Or people who end up finding themselves in wrappers and trusts and all sorts of endowments and so on, because that's the only way that some of these guys will operate uh, looking at uh, global money. It's quite, as I said earlier, I think it's quite simple to run global money from South Africa and to uh, give clients access to that. And, uh, and that's a certain type of person who wants that. Other people say, well, listen, I just really want to invest in South Africa and start building up my capital and start building up my expertise. And then we can then we can start looking at moving that money offshore. And uh, you really need to be looking at a million rand or more to be able to buy a properly diversified portfolio, whether it's ETFs or shares or whatever have you on a, on a, on a, on a global basis. Um, so the JSC is a good place to start uh, because of these foreign referenced ETFs and uh, ETNs. And uh, um, whilst we do our overseas investments for clients at the same cost as we do the local investments, um, the uh, um, you know, the margins are much smaller the minute you start going offshore. So we're really helping the client side by doing that. Uh, the, uh, but yes, the, uh, um, there's two different sorts of people, people who want to move their money offshore, and those are typically people who are going to go and join their money one of these days, or people who say, well, you know, I can get access to these, these sort of assets without having to physically move the money uh, out of South Africa because I'm South Africa bound for whatever reason. And, uh, and uh, so those are two separate markets, and I think uh, they should be treated separately. Uh, I think, as Dawn says, if you if you structure it properly, then these uh, then these uh, types of platforms uh, that you can use are uh, very efficient and uh, and do offer you uh, uh, pretty much uh, transparency, no matter where you're invested, uh, uh, South Africa or globally. Paul has a follow-up question for Dawn. Sorry, uh, Dawn, do you want to finish? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's one other aspect to you know physically taking your money offshore and say say buying your MSCI offshore or your vanguards or whatever whatever other ideas that you have in terms of of ETFs is that the the cost structures of those offshore ETFs compared to South Africa are widely different. Um, they are very much cheaper for a whole whole bunch of reasons. So you know, I mean, it, it it's unfortunate that you have to have a critical mass in terms of you know making it worth your while to to take the money offshore and invest offshore but you know if, if you do do that you will there will be cost savings on those ETFs because if, if you're talking about the sort of the the standard ETF not you know not the ones that are trying to you know track smart beta and you know be clever you know which is sort of you know really not far off an actively um, traded fund but some of these 
you know, plain vanilla tracker funds are really almost cost almost nothing in the offshore environment, not necessarily here. Thank you. Harry would like to know, please explain the difference between an ETF and an ETN. Mike, could you please explain the differences for us and advise on what the ordinary investor should be going for? Yes, the JSC listing regulations, you know, uh, um, sections 19 JSC listing regulations enables you to list either an exchange traded fund or an exchange traded note. Now, exchange traded fund is where the the index is physically owned by the issuer of the uh, of the security, the ETF security. So it's always 100% physically backed. So whether you own, whether you're buying the S&P 500 or the JSE Top 40 or gold, the whoever issues that that uh, ETF security has to be 100% backed all the time. Every security that's issued on the stock exchange has to be 100% physically backed by the ownership of those underlying assets or equities or portfolio, whatever it is. And that's really what a mutual fund is. So an ETF is uh, is a no-risk type of proposition because uh, if it folds up tomorrow, the the trustee will then just sell the assets, which are equal to the liabilities, and there's no risk in the uh, in the structure of the product. And ETFs are very popular for for that reason. And they, uh, but it does mean that uh, they're relatively difficult to run because you've got to keep on making sure that you're always tracking that index perfectly. Fortunately, indices only change once a quarter and so on typically, but uh, there is some some management involved in, in running an ETF successfully. And I, uh, um, but there are experts at doing this, and that's that's the way it that's the way it operates. Now, an exchange traded note is where you can track an index or track an asset class, but where you don't physically own the asset. So you can cover your liability by saying hedging into the futures market. So if you bought an oil ETN on the JSC. The writers of that oil ETN, which is Standard Bank, would cover their liability by buying futures, oil futures, and they have to roll those futures over every three months and so on and so forth. So, but they don't physically hold the asset because after all, oil goes off after a while. And where do you put the oil? You know, you fill up your parking, underground parking garage with oil, but you know, after that, what do you do with it? So, uh, so an ETN will give you access to an index, but without physically holding the underlying. But you you cover your liability in a different way, or futures or derivatives or whatever have you. An ETN then, according to the JSE regulations, this is the same globally. Then says that whoever issues that ETN has to give backing, has to underwrite that ETN to say that it will always perfectly track whatever its index is tracking or whatever assets is tracking. So you then have to look at the creditworthiness of whoever issues that that note. And the JSC regulations say you can't issue an ETN unless you've got a capital, you know, untended capital of billions and billions of rand or whatever have you and so on and so forth. So, uh, so that's what an ETN is. It's no less safe than an ETF and it's actually slightly more efficient because you can cover your liability much easier and more accurately sometimes by, by not having to hold the physical. Uh, but some people don't like ETNs because they're saying, well, you know, these things, what happens if uh, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland, is a big issue of, of ETFs in South Africa? What happens if UBS goes bust? Well, UBS is probably in better shape than South Africa, but, you know, there's a risk. You're taking on a credit risk of whoever issues the note. So an ETN has credit risk, an ETF has no credit risk. Uh, that's it really, hopefully, is you know, explains it uh, um, relatively simply. Thank you, Mike. Dawn, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I... I think one of my my concerns when it comes to ETN uh, um, ETN specifically is that um, the sort of 
the the massive um, explosion really of the ETF ETN market in this, particularly in the states and and in Europe, has really carried you know only really been um, during maybe the last 10, 11 years, and it's been a non-stop bull market through that whole time, particularly in America. Um, so you haven't really seen particularly the ETNs being tested on the downside too much, right? This, the, the markets have kept going up and up and up. Um, and the flash crash that we had during COVID, I think, was too short for any kind of fallout, you know, but as soon as anybody realized it had bottom had drawn, it, it had gone up again. But, um, you know, I think if there's a, 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 a true bull market and a sustained um, drawdown, and particularly if, it's, if it goes down rapidly and stays down rapidly, um, I think that's where you could actually, you know, run into run into some some problems for um, ETNs and that kind of, particularly on the fringes that you know aren't aren't as well known, aren't as well backed. Thank you, Mike. Lots of questions coming through here on the nitty gritty of how ETFs work. And there's one here from Peter who says, "Does the value or price of an SA-based ETF uh, tracking, say, the S&P 500?" move both with share prices and or currency fluctuation or just share prices. Could you explain how the returns and perhaps even losses work with these ETFs with the foreign flavor? Well, if the S&P trades at a certain level, you know, and, they, uh, and the ETN's price is then the level of the index. So the S&P uh, is trading at, say, 10,000. And then the ETF will then price on that ten thousand. Typically, it's a it's a it's a ratio of ten thousand. So it's normally a ten to one or a, a hundred to one ratio. So let's say the S and P is trading at ten thousand. The ETF trades at a hundred rands a share. If the S and P five hundred goes to ten thousand one hundred, the ETF will trade up by by ten cents. So it tracks the value of the index uh, pretty much accurately in terms of the price. And uh, there's buyers and sellers that make it sufficient. And there's a market maker who can always intervene to provide, to make sure that the ETF trades at fair value. And if you're a big operating ETFs, like your ETF is to a certain extent, we tend to just trade with the market makers. Because there we're getting the net asset value, we're getting the real value. Where the ETF is slightly more complicated, where you've got an S&P trading on the JSCs, you've now got to take into account the Rand dollar exchange rates changing all the time. So your market maker or your trader, and there's quite a lot of specialized traders, will be plotting the change, different changes in the Rand dollar exchange rate and the changes on the S&P 500 and doing that on an ongoing basis. And because there's a lot of liquidity in these things, and you can always trade with the market makers, provides liquidity, uh, then, uh, then those things are relatively efficient in, in, in trading the, the value of the, uh, of the underlying. So uh, an international one, you've got to look not only at the, uh, the dollar value of the asset, but also the exchange rate movements in the asset. And sometimes the exchange rate moves quite rapidly. Uh, you, can, you can see quite big movements. Now, you know, what Dawn was saying, well, ETNs are dangerous, but they're not really, because an ETN, if the market falls, the price of the ETN falls. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Yeah. I bought a futures yeah, index. Yeah, yeah. I bought it mm -hmm. at a certain price. It now falls. Uh, I then lose money on that futures index. So now I've got to bring in another futures contract to cover my liability, and you do that on an ongoing basis. And an ETN or an ETF won't stop you from the prices going up or down. Um, it just depends on the liquidity of what you're doing. 
And the futures markets are massive. I mean, the ETNs are a fraction that less than one percent of the value of futures markets and things like that. So they they're very yeah. small portion I mean, I, of what are very very broad markets. Um, but the big issue is that uh, in pricing an ETF um, uh, that's listed on the JSE with references a foreign asset, you are having to look at the rand dollar exchange rate, and uh, and that can create slight inefficiencies. And that's where where Dawn says, and sometimes it's better to have that money sitting offshore than you buy. A, an S and P 500, you know, in New York or not New York, typically London, because a London uh, listed product comes out of Ireland, so it doesn't have all those dividend withholding tax issues and so on that would come out of a, buying a U.S. sourced uh, ETF. So uh, to answer your question, yes, the 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 rand dollar exchange rate can be an issue, but uh, uh, I find that a lot of the people who trade daily in the market find that ETFs often are a very efficient way. Of hedging themselves in the currency because they say those ETFs move so so finely with the currency that often I find my currency hedge uh, I can do it in the ETF just as well as I can do because you go to a bank and try and buy for some foreign exchange and they say well fill in a form and come back tomorrow do whatever you want an ETF trades that exchange rates instantly um, so it is one of the options that you can look at doing um, and a uh, and it's quite an efficient market in South Africa. As you get into global or more bigger liquid markets, the ETFs are very, very efficient monitors of changes that are taking place in the in the marketplace, and uh, and that always makes it quite useful as as a trading tool. Thank you, Dawn. Do you have anything to build on that, or? You know, my concern with with ETFs would be the liquidity if if the market fell off, you know, the the bottom that there's. And and you you know say the market fell off a cliff and you wanted to sell it and then there's insufficient liquidity to to pay you out. Um, that that is where the danger lies. But you know ETNs are a smaller sort of part of the the pot definitely. But I think the the one other question that is not always adequately answered by uh, some of these um, ETF makers and that kind of thing is what happens to dividends. Um, because, uh, you know, if, if uh, something is tracking an index, it tracks the price of the index. But if you, you know, have a share portfolio of your own, you know that share prices go up and the day that the dividend is declared, it goes ex div and the price drops by the, the amount of the dividend, which is maybe 2%, 3%, 1%, what it, whatever else it is. And then and then the price keeps on, on going up. And, you know, sometimes... I have asked this question before, um, not not just with ETFs, but with some mutual funds and that kind of thing, is that you know this portfolio is producing two percent of um, of dividends, and you're tracking the um, index, but shouldn't you actually be going over and above the index because those dividends should be being rolled in? It's oh no, we have to use those dividends for costs and stuff. Um, so. It's a little bit of a, a grey area. I, I think legislation is coming into effect that will force that disclosure um, because, you know, in a low growth environment, 2% is not nothing. You know, 2% is more than we've had in the last five years. Mike, would you like to just pick up on, on the issue of the dividends and the costs there? So if you're an ETF or even a collective investment scheme or unit trust, you accumulate dividends and you pay them out at the end of each quarter. So you have to pay the total return, which is not only the price change of the underlying assets, but also the dividends. As Dawn says, some unit trusts are quite expensive, so the dividends get used up in covering the cost of the unit trust, which is why an ETF is quite an efficient way, because the cost structure in the ETF is much lower 
So you'll find that you'll get most of that dividend. And I often find with investors, they say, oh, I love my ETFs because I get all this money every quarter. My unit trusts don't give me those dividends. And I say, well, that's because you're an expensive unit trust. You know, try and find a, a cheaper unit trust, but your ETF will pay out those dividends. You'll also find, Dawn, that uh, your ETFs will announce the last day to trade when the dividends are in the product. And when they go X dividends, you'll see the price will fall by that dividend. So the dividend will be then paid out in a week or two's time. So that's also a reasonably efficient market. You'll see common X dividend. You'll see, just like normal share prices, you'll see an ETF share price moving uh, because it still holds dividends, and when those dividends are no longer in the ETF, the price will fall by the amount that the dividends are, and you'll get paid those dividends in a week or two, and then the ETF then starts building up its price uh, with the dividends. So your net asset value of an ETF is always not only the underlying index, but also any cash that's lying in that, that portfolio, which will be paid out to you at the end of each quarter. And because the costs in ETFs are quite low, they're actually quite a good way of accumulating dividends, yeah. particularly for pension funds, because they, they often require income, uh, you yeah. know, to keep on servicing their clients. Pension. And uh, so we're finding uh, that's, that is a positive for an ETF. Um, but, uh, yeah, dividends come in and out, and uh, that obviously can play a bit of a role in the price of the ETF around the end of the quarter. Yeah, I, I just find that there's uh, where you where there's much more of an issue with um, South African players in the offshore space. Um, where it becomes more of a grey area rather than, you know, what you find actually here. So just on the subject of offshore, Session has this question. How does the tax work if you buy foreign ETFs in foreign currency when you are ready to cash out? Dawn, how does the tax work? Well, um, if you're a South African resident, you know, you have to declare it here. It becomes CGT here. Or, you know, the dividends have to be declared as, as foreign dividends here. You know, you can't get away with that any anymore. You know, you're a South African resident, you have to declare it here. If you don't declare it here, you take the chance of SARS finding out. And they've got these, you know, I think every single country except four are actually um, involved in the agreement. And um, they can say to, to Switzerland or whatever it is, you know, Mr. Joe, so what, is he, what has he got with you? And you, they send it and then you're in trouble with SARS. So it's it's up to you, you know. Uh, if you know they when there's withholding tax and that kind of thing, you still have to declare it, and you declare what what tax has been withheld, and you're not going to get double taxed on most of it. It's as long as there's a you know a tax treaty in place. Thank but, you. Um, you know, it doesn't matter where you earn it. You've you've got to you've got to be open with SARS. Don't muck about with SARS. Thank you. David has a question that I think Mike is best placed to answer, a point he makes actually, which perhaps Mike can elaborate on. He says with the gold ETF, there is definitely a cost-effective way, to, that's a cost-effective way to purchase gold, but it is done through a debenture that is purchased. It does mean that there is a third-party risk. The asset forms part of the bank's assets. Surely this is an extra liability exposure. If the bank goes belly up, so do your gold holdings. You can also never take possession of the gold. Mike, can you just explain how gold ETFs work, please? Uh, yeah, the, the, the debenture was just, uh, you know, don't forget that gold ETF was launched in 2002. It was like when we launched Satrix in 2000. The JSC never understood that you could actually launch a portfolio of shares. So we had to end up launching a Satrix 40 as a futures contract with a promise to perhaps deliver those, those shares in future just to get around regulations and so on. The regulations gradually changed. So when New Gold listed in 2002, it, it actually is 100% physically backed. 
If new gold issues a security, it's 100% backed by gold, which they used to keep in the Rand Refinery in Germiston, but that's not the safest place to keep gold. So eventually they moved that gold. That's, that's now physically held in London. It's a depositories in London. The reason they used a debenture was just to get this approved through the JSC regulations. But uh, the new gold or the iInvest gold uh, ETFs are 100% physically backed and don't look at the debenture as being a debt instrument. A debenture can be a any type of instrument. That's just the structure they use. But it is 100% physically backed. And uh, if you're a foreign resident and you buy new gold, you can actually go and ask them to pay you out in gold. Because an ETF will do physical delivery uh, as one way of making sure it tracks uh, whatever it's tracking accurately. You can you can create in-species deliveries or in-species uh, um, uh, redemptions out of an ETF. So, the, so those gold ETFs are 100% physically backed. and uh, there's an independent trustee that checks on that, and they uh, uh, they're uh, they're not uh, they're not debt they're not debt instruments. It was just purely that was the only way to get these things going on the JSC without having to rewrite all the legislation. Don't forget to change legislation in South Africa can take ten years. So often you're trying to structure products to fit in with the existing legislation, and they, uh, and that's the way they they, they operated. Uh, you still can't, unfortunately, run those those commodity ETFs as collective investment schemes in South Africa because the Collective Investment Scheme Act, which was written in the year 2000, doesn't recognize commodities as an asset class. So you can't register an, uh, with the FSCA that your your commodity-backed ETF is really a collective investment scheme or unit trust because the, the Act doesn't recognize gold. And That's when you chat to them at the FSCA, they say, oh, we're going to rewrite the Act sometime. We'll make sure that commodities are in there and REITs and all these sort of things that are not re recognized in the Act are included, but they never get around to rewriting the uh, legislation. So in the meantime, these products then just have to operate as best they can, and that debenture was just a structure in which they, they utilize it. But uh, uh, those uh, those uh, commodity tracking ETFs are very accurate in terms of the way they, they follow the price of gold. But again, as I answered to an earlier question, you've got to look at the Rand dollar exchange rate there as well, because you're, not, you're buying dollars and gold in dollars in London, but it's trading in rands on the uh, Johannesburg Stock Exchange. <clears throat> this feeds into a question from Peter who wants to know, does the value or price of a South African-based ETF tracking uh, foreign currency stock move? How, how do you measure that and how do you decide which currency and which stock should you buy? Yeah, that's probably where you've got to get somebody like Dawn to come along and help you. I, uh, uh, we typically, um, when we suggest buying or we run money offshore, we suggest buying ETFs globally, we tend to prefer dollars because the dollar is not as volatile as the euro and as the pound and, and so on. But, you know, that can change from time to time. But typically, most of the ETFs that trade on the JSC are dollar-based. And so you're looking at the, uh, the the dollar price of gold or the dollar price of, a, of an index in S&P 500 or an MSCI China. So the dollar is typically your base price. Um, and then the dollar rand, of course, uh, that's, uh, that, that moves around quite a bit. And, uh, uh, and your interday trading can affect the price of, the, of, of that ETF. So, uh, so quite often uh, somebody says to me, there seems to be quite a big movement taking place in, uh, um, in, the, um, in the gold price or the gold ETF. And the gold price doesn't seem to be moving in dollars. I said, well, have you looked at the rand dollar exchange rate recently? <laughs> and that's where it all is. It's in the exchange rate. So you're looking at two things. One is the exchange rate and the other one is the uh, is the underlying asset in, in, in dollars. <clears throat> so what do you choose first, Dawn, the, the currency or the underlying asset? 
I, I, the underlying asset, I, I think, you know, uh, currency is just an element of an, an additional element of risk. And I do agree with Mike that, you know, um, don't bet against the dollar. You know, it, it is weakening at the moment. That's that's for sure. And that's going to probably push up some commodity prices, which is why we're, you know, moving more into commodities right right now. But, you know, right now things are just so volatile. And I think I've said this before, you know, um, back in the good old days, maybe sort of 10, 10 years ago, you could take a house view on what asset classes to buy and what proportions of those asset classes to buy and, and which assets within those asset classes to buy. And that would be good for like nine months, eight, nine months, you know. Now you have to change almost on a weekly basis. You know, I mean, literally you sort of going in and out of gold on a, on a sort of weekly basis where it used to be on an almost annual basis. It's um, you know, we're living in a very uncertain times and quite frankly, until the whole American elections have sort of washed out of the system in terms of volatility, it's not going to get better right now. Um, but, you know, this COVID and, you know, third waves and people's reaction to the third waves, there is just so much volatility everywhere that you really have to have an objective. And when it comes to currency, the first question is, are you going to retire here? Or are you going to retire somewhere else? Um, and it, it's, oh no, I'm going to retire in Portugal. Then we align with the Euro because then it, you're aligning it with the purchasing power of where you're going to end up. And they say, no, I'm staying here. I just want it as a rand hedge. Then it's a different com conversation. Um, but you know, you, you have to understand the long-term objectives of the client and what they the objectives of that particular investment, um, you know, before sort of picking what what denomination it's going to be, because you know, with with certainly the bigger platforms, you can literally have you know that almost any denomination you want, not just you know dollars and euros, but you know yen and renminbi and whatever you want. No. Lots of questions coming through. I doubt we'll get through to all of them today, but it just shows you the, the, the level of interest in uh, these types of investments. Owen has a question. Can one or two balanced international ETFs take the place of a balanced investment portfolio? Or is this a case of having all one's eggs in, one ba in one's basket? Mike, obviously ETFs are your business, but do you think that they, they can solve the problem of having a balanced portfolio? Yes, very much so. I mean, uh, Dawn said earlier on that, you know, you, you should really be looking at a strategic asset allocation model. So I want X amount of money in equities. I want a bit of money in bonds. I want something in listed property. I want, you know, so you draw up a strategic asset allocation. You diversify yourself amongst different assets. And that's a balanced portfolio. Now, I can do that by buying individual shares or by buying individual unit trusts. So I can do it through ETFs. And so ETFs can form part of, of that sort of balanced portfolio. And they, uh, and so if you are looking at going globally, well, then I would say, you know, buy a S&P, which is the U.S. markets, and maybe buy a high-tech index in America, the S&P IT or the NASDAQ. But then look at maybe having a bit of money in China, which is, you know, your best emerging market, or buy an emerging market ETF. Or if I really want to shoot the lights, I'd go and buy Korea or Taiwan, which have been the best performing dollar markets. So the last while but then i might also want to have a little bit of exposure in europe so i can do that i can buy an etf in europe and maybe a you know FTSE uk is going to recover from brexit one of these days so i'll buy a uk index so you can use your etfs to give you that that asset allocation exposure but you said you should then look at saying well 
I also need to have some money in bonds and I also need to have some money perhaps in South African equity and you can do all of that in ETFs. And so it's not necessary to, to go and uh, uh, buy a balanced portfolio from a unit trust manager because you can do that yourself. Or you get a hold of a specialist financial advisor and that's something that we do. We just look at ETFs, but I'm sure others can help you out with that as well. And they can build a balanced portfolio for you, either just using ETFs or using a combination of ETFs and, uh, and individual shares or maybe unit trust. So uh, you don't have to go out and buy a balanced portfolio from a specific asset manager because you then take, you then reliant on what his view is. And if his view is wrong, then you then you know you've got a problem. Whereas if if you if you're buying a portfolio where you've got an asset manager who's looking at it purely on meeting your requirements and meeting whatever your financial needs are, then they can often be much more they can adjust that portfolio much quicker. But an asset allocation strategy is where you start, and uh, and if you're looking at a balance, you say what sort of balance you want. I want to have a lot offshore, or I want to have a little bit offshore. I want to add commodities, or I don't want to add commodities. And once you do that, then you're starting to operate at a reasonably professional level. And a, uh, even if you're an, an individual investor yourself, and uh, an ETFs are one way of doing that. <clears throat> Dawn, do you think we should give up on balanced portfolios other than just sticking to ETFs? And no, you know, I think um, a balanced portfolio can include ETFs. Um, I'm not a huge fan of um bond etfs frankly um and trying to get an offshore balanced etf is you know you're you're hiding to nothing because there's just no yield from bonds there's very little yield i mean they're just falling all over there all over themselves really taking on much more and more risk just to just to get some yield out of out of the stock market because they can't get it anywhere else so you know what is balanced uh, uh, you know trying to get a balanced portfolio offshore and bring it and bring it here and living here on it it just isn't going to work you know th this is where I, I suppose this is the added value of, of a of a financial advisor is to help you actually get that asset allocation right thank you mike for people who have never invested before which etf should they start off with how do they narrow the choices before we close off well, we typically say to people just go and buy a, a, a world ETF, buy a Satrix or Core Shares or Signal Hytrix, MECI World, that gives you exposure to global markets. And uh, and uh, if you want to buy a South African ETF, buy a top 40 ETF and uh, and start with that. So you've got a bit of exposure to South Africa, a bit of exposure globally, and you can decide uh, what percentage you want to have. I maybe want to have 80% offshore and 20% in South Africa. Now, those two ETFs, will very often, just in themselves, outperform most of the unit trust managers out there <laughs> because they're giving you equity unit trust managers, because they're giving you a, a big exposure by exposing you to 2,000 international companies and 40 of the biggest South African companies. So start with something simple, but you'll find that as you get to know more and more about the market, you'll start adding different types of ETFs, and that's part of the learning curve. Thank you. And Dawn, we've heard a lot about the costs of investing. Is there a place for unit trusts anymore? What do you think? Yes, yes, there are. I mean, quite frankly, there's some very good unit trusts that come in at almost the same price as a South African ETF at this point in time. Um, you just know have to know where to, to look for it. Literally, um, you know, maybe a, a few basis points off. Um, and so, yes, there is. You know, look, 
um, I, I think the rule of thumb is, you know, the more advertising you see behind uh, a unit trust, the more expensive it's going to be. And if you just think that for, you know, for every million rands that you invest, an extra 1% that you pay in fees is 10,000 rand extra a year. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot I can do with 10,000 rand extra a year than give it to an asset manager to pay off his Ferrari. <laughs> Definitely. Mike, any concluding uh, points you'd like to make before we close off today? Yes, I think it's uh, <clears throat> for an investor, I think, uh, get your feet wet. Um, these a uh, the big part of being invested is 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 uh, being in the market, getting involved. Um, most of these platforms, like the ETFSA platform and others, will accept investments from 300 rand a month with debit orders or lump sum investments of 300 bucks. Just get into the habit of putting some money away every month and putting it into low cost. I agree with Dawn. There's some low cost uh, unit trusts, but uh, the volatility performance can be uh, can be an issue there. But you know. Look at low costs, look at uh, consistent investing, and then uh, get yourself uh, get yourself going. <clears throat> and uh, tax-free investment accounts often a very good place to start looking at. You can't buy individual shares, but you can buy ETFs or unit trusts through a tax-free investment account. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Mike. Really appreciate it. And thank, thank you. you. <laughs> And thank you, Dawn, as well, for joining us. We also appreciate it. And we've got quite a few questions here looking for your um, email address and Mike's details and wanting to know more. So we'll definitely pick up on this issue again. But if anybody wants uh, to get in touch with Dawn, you can send me an email and I'll forward your details to her. Same with um, Mike, though. Mike, you've also got a, 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 a website that people can go to etfsa.co.za and you've got quite a, a good website, I think, so it's quite easy to find the information there. Um, do people have to go through a financial advisor at all, Mike, to get to your products? Not at all, no. Uh, we, we can give financial advice to manage portfolios, but yeah, the whole idea is, <clears throat> is to uh, have a discretionary uh, platform where people don't need a financial advisor. Um, so. Uh, uh, and there's a big population out there that does want to do their own investment or does want to put a little bit of money away every month. But if you do need, if you're a more sophisticated investor, if you've got large amounts of money to invest, then certainly a financial advisor can play an important role. <clears throat> okay, well, great. Thank you very much to everybody. And thanks to everybody who joined us today. And we will try to get to some of your questions in a, in a future webinar. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jackie. Have a good weekend, everybody. You too. Super, Thanks. Jackie. Nice to see you again and have a good nice weekend. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us for this webinar, which is compiled and produced by the team at biznews.com. Recording of this webinar will be available later today on the biznews.com channel on YouTube. From our team, until the next time, cheerio.